Thank you, choir, Bob, for leading them. That, that was very worshipful and very fitting for a mor- morning like this morning. Perhaps when you walked out of your house this morning, you perhaps felt some raindrops. And maybe as we leave, we may feel some more. I'm not sure, but maybe this song will reverberate around in your mind, even as you feel those physical drops coming down, realizing that God's at work all the time. He's always at work for His glory and for the good of His people. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series in 1 John, in chapter 3. And if you'll turn with me in your Bible to 1 John, and if you do not have a Bible, we actually have a number of the Bibles in front of you in the pew, and you can grab one of those, and we'll be on page 1055 in the Scripture and the Pew Bible. I'll be reading verses 11 through 18 in 1 John chapter 3. And this is what John writes. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now this morning I want to turn our attention first to verse 11, because I believe in verse 11 it really sets the tone for the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage John is going to be unpacking verse 11. And this is what it says in verse 11. For this is the message that you had heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now some of you are here this morning, and you may be new to Christianity, and maybe you haven't been involved with the church community much, or the teachings of Christ, and so you hear that, love one another, and you are curious, and you want to know more about it. Others of you have been around Christianity, and perhaps you've even been a Christian for a long time, and you may be saying, you know Ron, uh, love one another. You know, didn't we just talk about this a couple weeks ago? <laughs> didn't John just mention this in the last chapter? You know, isn't loving one another, you know, Christianity one-on-one? Haven't we already learned that in that pretty basic Christian teaching? And I think you're right, and I can sympathize with those, with those feelings. Uh, and you're right, we, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago in 1 John chapter 2. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why do we think John keeps revisiting this idea? He just talked about it. Why is he bringing it up again? If this is such a basic Christian teaching, then why does he keep bringing it up? Why does he keep revisiting this teaching? Well, there's at least two reasons I think he might be revisiting this idea of loving one another. One is that perhaps he thinks we have a hard time carrying this out consistently. And so he thinks, well, I just need to keep reminding you all 
that we need to love one another as Christ loves. The second reason, I think, is that, you know, really when you, when you take the Christian life and you boil it down to its most basic core, what you get is loving God and loving others. That's what you get. And so really everything else traces its origin back to this fundamental concept. And I think that's why John keeps revisiting it. He's, it's important. And we have trouble doing it. And so he needs to keep bringing it up and saying, you know, let's reflect on this. Let's evaluate ourselves. Let's look into what Christ is like and what he's done. And let's see, are we loving each other? And so, yes, it's Christianity 101. That's the course. But it's one that we will never graduate from. We'll always be learning and growing in this idea of loving one another. And so it's a great truth to evaluate ourselves against this morning, to see if we have truly experienced and if we are truly practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how do we get a better grasp on what it looks like to love one another? Well, John's going to give us two contrasting examples. One example is how not to do it, and one example is how to do it. And so let's look at the first example John gives us. It's in verse 12, and this is what he says. We should not... Be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, now John is referring back to Genesis chapter 4. After Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and went their own way, they sinned. God removed them from the garden and then Eve bore two sons, Cain and Abel. And the scripture says in Genesis chapter 4, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now we gain more insight into this passage from the writer of Hebrews. And Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting this gifts, his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And so he's even still speaking today as John brings in this example of Cain and Abel to help us understand how we should love our brothers. Now, we don't know the details about what was going on in Cain's mind and what he was thinking, what he was wrestling wrestling with, what he was going through as he presented the sacrifice to God while he killed his brother Abel. But we do know that Abel's sacrifice was done in faith and Cain's was not. And we know that there was something brewing in Cain that manifested itself in the killing of his brother. You know, it seems like Cain was somebody who would serve, perhaps, as long as he was served in return. You know, perhaps he was the type of person that 
would seem loving if things were going his way. But once things went in a way that he didn't want it to go, or if he didn't get what he wanted, then Cain responded with violence, with anger, with hatred. And that's what we see with his brother. And he probably got along with his brother just fine until his brother crossed him. In other words, until his brother did something that he didn't like, and then Cain's true colors came out. And so we see when Abel's faith in God was manifested, something was triggered in Cain. And when Abel's, or when Cain's faithless sacrifice was, was revealed, he struck out against his righteous brother and killed him. Now, you may be asking, what, what does this tell us about loving one another? What does Cain tell us, what does this example tell us about loving one another? Well, we see that Cain gives us, gives us a telling example of what love is not. Cain is someone who took life. That's what he did. Now you may be saying, Ron, well, I've never literally taken someone's life before. And I don't necessarily plan on doing that. I don't plan on murdering my brother or my sister in Christ. That's that's not me. I'm not going to do that. However, both you and I know that there is more than one way to take the life of someone. One is literally by murdering them, but another one you have to kind of take a couple steps back from the act of murder itself. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said of those of old, or to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so what Jesus is doing, is he's just backing it up a step and saying, yes, murder's wrong, but what led to that? Well, it was hatred for your brother. There's anger towards your brother. And so we see in Cain and Abel, Cain's anger towards Abel manifested itself with him killing Abel. But there's more than one way to take the life of someone and drain the life out of someone, and that is just by our hate and our anger towards them. Listen to the writer of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we all know this, that how we use our words, they can either give life or drain you of life, take your life. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And so there's more than one way to take the life from someone, so to speak. You know, to hate someone is to take rather than give. I think is the fundamental uh, truth here. He's saying to hate someone is to, to be a taker rather than a giver. And you may treat others well, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, that I, I, I tend to treat others well, or at least more readily well, if they treat me well. Right? If they love me, I'm more likely to love them back. But what about those who do not love you back? Or what about those who cannot repay you or give back to you what you've given to them? How do you respond to those, those folks? And how we treat those around us reveals whether or not we're loving like Cain loves or like Christ loves. And that leads us to our second, second example that John gives. 
And I'm going to come back to verses 13 through 15. But first let's look at verse 16. This is what John says. He says, By this we know love. He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now John is clearly referring to what Christ did for us. He laid down His life for us. He accomplished eternal life for us by dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. And so in the giving of the life of Christ, we are able to receive eternal life through faith in Him. So in other words, when you love someone, it means that you do not take from them, but rather you give to them. You know, love is not taking life, it's giving of your life so that they can have life. That's what we see in the example of Christ. So in other words, when you, when you love someone, you're willing to give of what you have in order for that other person to thrive, in order for that other person to be the person God wants them to be. And we, and we do not love one another. We do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can receive back from them, but rather we love because we already have received. You know, our love for each other within the church is the effect. And the cause of that love is God's love for us in Christ. God's love for, love for us in Christ is the cause and the effect is our love for one another. And so as we experience the love of Christ and we reflect on what the gospel is and what Christ has done, then the effect of that is that we love one another. And not only is it the cause, this, this love God has for us in Christ, but it's the definition. And that's what John's saying. This is what love is. Jesus laying down His life. That is the manifestation of what love is. Now you may say, well Ron, I have not had many opportunities and I don't know if I will have any opportunities to literally lay down my life for my brother and sister in Christ. And you may be right. There may never come a time where that is required of you. Your very life. But, but let's not forget the multitudes of men and women throughout church history, and even in other parts of the world, that this is true of them now. That they, they laid down their lives for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And although that may not be true of us, that we may never come to the point where it's required of us to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters in Christ, yet this definition of love still remains. Love is giving. That's what it is. Love is giving. It's not taking. It's, it's giving at its simplest form. And therefore, I think that's why John gives us a more tangible example. Maybe an everyday example of how we can show love to one another. Look at verses 17 and 18. John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So we have here a very tangible example of how we can live out this principle of love. So although we may never have to give our lives literally for someone, on behalf of someone, 
Our lives should be characterized by giving. Because that's what characterizes love. And the need that John highlights here is one that can be met perhaps even with tangible resources. An everyday need that we may see in each other. And so the thought flows like this. He says, okay, love is best characterized by giving. Jesus gave his life for us so that we can have life. Therefore, if I am in Christ, then my life should be characterized by giving. Giving in a way so that others can have life. And even specifically, eternal life with Christ. And so one way we can help one another within the church to experience life in Christ the way He wants us to experience it is that if we see a need in the lives of each other, we should seek to meet that need if we have the capacity to do so. So in other words, if your brother or sister in Christ has a need, and that need is maybe in an area in which you have an abundance of whatever it is that they need, then love will say, you need to try to meet that need out of your abundance, out of what you have. If you have the love of Christ in you, your inclination will be, I want to meet that need. I want to help my brother and sister resolve this need. You know, D.L. Moody said this. He said, show me a church where there is love and I will show you a church that has a power in the community. There, there is power in this type of love that not only Christ has shown us, but that we can show one another. You know, we are meant to love one another. But like I said at the beginning, why does John keep bringing this up? Well, because we don't always operate like that. We don't always love one another. And so we need a reminder. You know, we need some prodding. We need some reflection. And there are a few reasons why I think we tend to be takers rather than givers. And just think to yourself, why do we tend to be takers? That seems to be kind of our default position, to be a taker rather than a giver. Well, I think there's two, at least two reasons. There's probably more, but at least two. One is greed. You know, greed is the inconsumable appetite for more. And so you can think about it. If I'm a greedy person, if I all, I'm always trying to gain more, then inherent in that idea is that I don't have enough. Therefore, when I see a brother or sister lacking in an area, I'm going to be probably unwilling to give to them because I don't have enough. You know, I need to gather more of this, whatever it is. And if you need some of it, I can't give you any of it right now because I don't have enough yet. So greed could keep us from being generous. You know, Leo Tolstoy once wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot. He wanted more of everything. One day, he received a novel offer for 1,000 rubles. He could buy all the land he could walk around in a day. The only catch in the deal was that he had to be back at his starting point by sundown. So early the next morning, he started out walking at a fast pace. And by midday, he was very tired, but he kept going, covering more and more ground. Well, into the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him far from the starting point. 
So he quickened his pace, and as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run. Knowing that if he did not make it back by sundown, the opportunity to become an even bigger landowner would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he came within sight of the finish line, gasping for breath, his heart pounding. He called upon every bit of strength left in his body and staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. And the title of Tolstoy's story was, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And so it was, the, it was the inconsumable appetite for more that drove him, even this man, to his own death. And so the point here, though, is one of the reasons why I think greed keeps us from being generous and keeps us from showing love is that it's difficult for us to use our resources to help one another if we're constantly trying to accumulate more for our own selves. And the second reason... I think that we, can, we tend to be takers rather than givers, is that we fear the future. You know, in our minds, we have all these different scenarios of what ifs. You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? And so we have all these scenarios of what if this happens, and so it drives us to fear, and so therefore we hoard. You know, we hoard our resources. And because we're driven by fear, when a need pops up in the life of one of our brothers and sisters in Christ... We're going to hesitate because we're going to think, well, what if such and such happens in my life? Then I won't have enough to cover this or cover that. And see, that is a restrictive to generosity and to love. We are unable to demonstrate love the way John talks about here if we're governed by fear or if we're governed by greed. And yet, I don't think fundamentally it's an issue of greed or an issue of fear. Even though there may be, those are some good reasons that keep us from loving. I think at the bottom line, it's, it's a lack of love. That we lack the type of love that, that John talks about. And so when we see a brother and sister in Christ that has a need that we are fully capable of meeting, then we have the opportunity to imitate the giving love of Jesus Christ. Not because we can receive something in return. But because we've already received everything we need in Christ. And that puts us in a position of freedom. So that we don't have to look to this or that for life and satisfaction. But we can look to Christ alone for that. And I know that in doing this, this requires pain at times and even sacrifice at times. Not always, but sometimes. But if you think about it, John gives us the example of Christ laying down His life so that we can have life. Obviously, that took a lot of pain and sacrifice. And so at times, our love, our giving of love, could be painful, it could be sacrificial. But we give because we love. And because we have been loved by Christ. Another consequence of, of loving this way 
is that John says the world may hate you. If you look back at verses 13 through 15, John writes, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does, does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so John says, when you love like Jesus loves, you'll get a few different types of responses. And one of the responses you may get is hatred. You may say, Ron, how can self-sacrificing love receive a response of hatred? Well, if you love like Christ loved, and what happened to Him? Those who oppose Christ will also oppose you. The more you look like Jesus, the more opposition you may receive from those who don't like Jesus or are not interested in God's kingdom. And so just as Abel experienced the effects of hate, so will those who seek to live for Christ in this world. He says, don't be surprised that you may experience this. You know, one scholar said it like this. He said, wherever the Christian is, even though he speak no word, he acts as the conscience of society. And for that very reason, the world will often hate him. Have you ever been around others who may not know Christ and they know you're a Christian and so they, they watch what they say? You know, they... they Maybe don't tell certain jokes or you know, they try to curb their behavior. Well, why is that? It's because you as a Christian, you, you're acting as a sense of conscience in the world. And when people look at you, it reminds them of what they're not. And some will be drawn to Christ by that and some will oppose you for that. Now, this scholar goes on to say, the hatred of the world for the Christian is still an ever-present phenomenon. And it is due to the fact that the worldly, man, the worldly man sees in the Christian the condemnation of himself. He sees in the Christian that which he is not, and that which is in his heart of hearts he knows he ought to be. And because he will not change, he seeks to eliminate the man who reminds him of the lost goodness. And that's exactly what Cain did to Abel. Cain looked at Abel and he was reminded of what he did not have, and that is faith. And so he not only opposed Abel, but put him to death. And that may be the response the world gives to you. And this is the same attitude that was in the man by the name of Alcibiades as he encountered Socrates. You know, Socrates was the good man, the good man par excellence. And Alcibiades was a brilliant but erratic and often debauched individual. And he used to say this to Socrates. He'd say, Socrates, I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am. And so John says, as you become more and more like Jesus in the world, do not be surprised that you may face opposition. And so we see from this passage that the definition of love is all wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He is 
the manifestation of love, what He did for us, this is how we know what love is. When we look and reflect on the laying down of the life of Christ for us, we get a better understanding and a better picture of what love is. He willingly gave up His life so that we can have life. And Cain, on the other hand, was a taker of life. And so in this world, we have givers and we have takers. And we have lovers and we have haters. And if you are a Christian, there is only one category that is made for you. And in Christ, we become more and more generous as we reflect on the generosity of Christ. And we become more and more loving as we reflect on the love of Christ for us. And so the question is, will you be like Cain or will you be like Christ? Which are you and which do you want to be? Let us pray. Lord, we come to your scripture this morning humbled by the stark contrast that John gives us between Cain and Christ. And we readily admit that our love does not always mirror that of what Christ did for us. And Lord, this morning we confess that to you. We thank you that you did love us and you do love us in Christ. You loved us enough to send your Son and He willingly came and laid down His life so that we can have life in Him. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has not experienced Your love in Christ, if there's anyone here who is still dead in their sin, Lord, I pray that You would make them alive in Christ this morning. And for those of us who are in Christ, I pray that we would readily confess any instance or any attitude that You bring to mind that mirrors the actions of Cain rather than Christ. And we ask by Your Holy Spirit that You would make us into a powerful community of love in this city that many, many more people could experience Your saving love in Christ. And we trust You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.